Hello all and welcome. Really delighted to be joined today by Zoe Clark, osteopath and educator, who has a specialist interest in axial spondyloarthritis, also known as AXSPA, axial spa or AS. Now this is a condition that is a very common reason for back pain and it gives a painful inflammatory arthritis and its symptoms can initially be quite similar to a regular non-specific back pain, often for years and diagnosis on average still takes over eight years to diagnose. Now awareness of this condition over the last few years has improved through the work of people like Zoe and the charity she works for, NAS, the National Axial Spondylarthritis Society, whom we discuss on the show. So if you currently have AXPAR or AS or feel that you might do, or you're unsure what is the cause of your back pain, then this episode is for you. Zoe also shares some fantastic resources to turn to if you have any additional questions. So if you found this information useful, why not subscribe to our show? Simply hit the subscribe button right from the app where you're listening to us now and you'll never miss another episode. You can also share this episode with a friend or a family member or tag us in your stories. It means the absolute world to us that people do that. But that's it from me. I'll leave you to sit back and enjoy the latest episode. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. And welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Zoe Clark. Zoe, we're going to jump straight into it. What is axial spondylarthropathy, or AXSPA, as we can refer to it for the rest of the show? <laughs> yeah, other than being a bit of a tongue twister, um, axial spondyloarthritis is a type of inflammatory arthritis. So it's in the group with things like rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis. And generally, it's where you get inflammation in the body that can affect areas such as the spine, the joints, and then other areas of the body like the skin, um, nails, and different areas. Okay, and the, the predominant symptoms are a, a back pain. Is that a, a very common thing which, uh, which people present with? Absolutely, yeah. It tends to be one of the first symptoms people experience. Um, it tends to affect people who are younger as well, and often it can come and go a lot. So you can get episodes of back pain, then it gets easier, and it comes back again as well. Okay, and how common is this? It's surprisingly common. So although awareness is really low of the condition, it does actually affect one in 200 adults in the UK. That's 200,000 people. Wow, that's huge. That's a lot more than I expected. And was this previously known as AS or ankylosing spondylitis? You know, can we, there's a lot of terms kind of around this, you know, AXSPA term that kind of are similar. Can you kind of go into what the difference is, if there is a difference or why it's been changed recently? Absolutely. So axial spa is the umbrella term. So it does include AS as well. So previously, when looking for AS, the only thing that we had was x-rays. And with the condition, if the inflammation goes on for a period of time, you can get changes to the spine and the joints that are visible on an x-ray. Whereas now, because we have MRIs, which are a lot more sensitive, we're able to actually pick up the inflammation before you get those joint changes. So if someone has inflammation or they have the symptoms, but they don't have any of those joint changes that you get later on, we'd call that axial spar. Or we can use axial spar as the umbrella term to kind of include um, AS when you've got those changes visible as well. Uh, so, so what previously was known as AS is still AS, but it just means you have shown signs on X-ray, whereas now because of the 
imaging we have, we can just pick up these early, uh, previously undetectable changes slightly, slightly earlier. Absolutely. And that's really beneficial because obviously the earlier you pick it up, the earlier you start treatment or, or manage it better, then the less likely you are to get those changes then visible on an x-ray as well. Brilliant. So can we talk about how this typically presents? I know there's lots of different presentations and lots of different things that it can cause, but you know, the, on the, on the, if you were teaching a student or, you know, how, how would this normally show rear its, you know, nasty head? So generally we'd make sure that we're really aware of the signs of inflammatory back pain, because that does differ from like a typical back pain you'd get with an injury um, or kind of wear and tear arthritis as well. So with inflammatory back pain, generally the symptoms are worse when you've been resting for a while and then they get better with movement. Um, and they tend to improve with things like anti-inflammatory medications. Um, and they tend to be worse in the morning when you first wake up, when you have morning stiffness, and then it gradually gets easier as the day goes on. So there are a few key symptoms of that type of back pain that we then look at um, sort of other areas of the body and other conditions that may indicate you've got something like axial spar going on. Um, as I sort of briefly mentioned earlier, it can affect all different areas of the body. So then we'd also be looking for things like problems with the skin, with psoriasis, um, and problems with the gut, like if someone has Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, which are a type of inflammatory condition of the digestive system. Um, and even things like eye inflammation, you can get with the condition and problems with the, the muscles where they attach onto the bones. So if you've had in the history um, lots of problems with your tendons or you know, tennis elbow, um, Achilles problems in the heel, things like that, they're all things we might pick up and start to build up that picture of whether it could be something like axial spar. Okay. So just to clarify, just because you've had a few of these things doesn't mean that you do have it, but it just puts these puzzle pieces together to kind of, you know, raise that index of suspicion that it might be a possibility. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are certain tools you can use that you can actually put your symptoms into and then it will come out and tell you, you know, whether it thinks it could be axial spar, whether it's worth getting investigations done or not as well. And that's the, uh, the spade tool, I believe. Is that one of the, one of the tools? Yeah, so that's one that clinicians can use. Um, and then for patients, there's a, a very recently uh, released tool on the website actonaxialspar.com. So that's been um, produced by NAS and some top clinicians to actually a really easy tool that patients can use. You can go put, tick a few boxes with your symptoms and then they'll let you know whether it's worth getting any investigations done. Brilliant. Can you, what's, what's the name of that website? It's actonaxialspar.com. Perfect. We'll pop a link to that in the show notes as well. So for anyone listening, can uh, can plug some plug some symptoms in. So can I ask you about this inflammatory back pain you mentioned? That kind of the, the pattern of back pain that people have. Obviously, this is the back pain podcast. A lot of people listening have back pain. You described what you said as morning stiffness, and does that mean so when you wake up in the morning, you you don't have pain, but it's stiffness, or is it pain and stiffness? You know, what? How do we kind of differentiate what's stiff and, and what's not? So it can be quite tricky with that, really, because, you know, often when you have been asleep, you know, through the night, things can stiffen up a little bit, particularly if you've had a previous injury. But normally with inflammatory back pain, it would be where that stiffness lasts more than 30 minutes. So it wouldn't be that you just, you know, get up to a few stretches and it eases off quickly. Um, normally, it means that, you know, after half an hour, an hour, you're starting to get that movement back, particularly with reaching down towards um, the floor, you know, as if you're going to put your, your shoes on, your socks on, things like that. That tends to be one of the biggest um, areas that people find difficult with that kind of inflammatory um, stiffness and sometimes you can get that stiffness without pain sometimes it comes alongside it and th that then also then happens when you've been sat down at a desk at a chair watching television you get that same pattern of it takes a, a good few minutes to really kind of loosen off and get back to your normal 
range of motion, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. People describe that, you know, they sort of, they've been sat down for a while relaxing and then when they go to get up, it sort of takes them a while to kind of unfold. Unfold it out (laughs) of the pretzel formation that they've been sat in. So that's not that's not a medical term. No, it's not a medical term. No, that's a one we've we will coin that the pretzel pretzel formation. So, patient, uh, you know, might be listening to this and they think, okay, I've got some I've got some nail changes. I've got this kind of inflammatory type back pain. I have back pain. I might have Crohn's disease as well. You know, all the, someone listening to this thinking I've got a few of these symptoms. They then go down the line of seeing a GP or, or a rheumatologist. How is this then diagnosed? Do we send people straight for imaging? Is this done via blood tests or is it just done on kind of you know how they present? So it tends to be a combination. So um, they tend to usually do blood tests to look for any kind of inflammation in the blood um, and also a particular gene. So there's a one gene which is highly linked with this condition. It doesn't necessarily mean that if you've got that gene, you've definitely got the condition or you'll definitely develop it. It just helps kind of build into the picture, really. So they combine that with other things like the symptoms you're getting. Um, Usually the first port of call would be an X-ray of the low back and also of the pelvis. Um, because if that showed up those kind of joint changes we described earlier, then that would straight away be a diagnosis of AS. If that comes back all clear, then they'll tend to do a specific MRI of the whole spine and the pelvis to look for that inflammation, because sometimes it'll pick up those you know inflammatory changes that you've got before any sort of joint changes you can see on an X-ray. Okay, and this would typically be done by a rheumatologist, or is this GP as well? Absolutely. Yeah. The imaging would all be done by a rheumatologist. Usually a GP would do the blood test, first of all, um, while waiting for the referral through to rheumatology or to help them decide whether they need to refer. Um, Importantly, though, with the blood tests, um, you don't necessarily have inflammation in the blood, even if you have axial spar. So it is important that, you know, just because someone doesn't have the inflammation in their blood test doesn't necessarily mean we can totally rule it out. Oh, that's 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 good to hear, actually, then. So that's a for people who might be a bit confused if they've had a had a blood test or had some results or been posted their results on a you know on a, a on a letter they can have a little bit more understanding about that and then the the reason that we wanted to do this and the reason that people might have been more aware of conditions like AS over the last few years is there's been a big push to try and improve the diagnostic time frame of this because i think you we were talking off air what is the average time from symptoms to getting a diagnosis of axial spar in the UK, it's currently eight and a half years. Yeah, which is really quite sad if someone's been struggling with pain for eight and a half years without an actual actual diagnosis. Why is it Why is it this long? Um, so that there's a combination of factors. So as we said earlier, there's actually quite awareness of the condition in general. So although it's very common, you know, the general public, probably most people listening to this podcast won't have heard of it before. Um, so, you know, people are more likely to put down their back pain to something like an injury or their posture or, you know, picking the kids up, things like that. They're not necessarily going to go to the GP um, with these symptoms. Similarly, then when you get to the GP and sometimes some rheumatologists, the awareness isn't necessarily as high as it should be. Um, they could be referred on to, to physiotherapy or, or another route. Um, and also in rheumatology, sometimes the most up to date tests aren't necessarily used as well. So there's sort of a combination and areas where you get those different barriers. Oh, so so all the more information that we can spread about raising awareness for this condition, the better. Absolutely. Yeah, across the board. <laughs> so then we've seen a rheumatologist, we've had this, you know, early diagnosis. What is the the next step then? So what do we do in terms of treatment, both from a pharmacological treatment and then kind of the non-pharmacological uh, side of things? 
Absolutely. So most people with the condition will try anti-inflammatory medications. Um, so it can be kind of over-the-counter ones like ibuprofen, but most people um, respond really well to specific ones um, called things like atorococcib that help with the more spinal inflammation. Um, if that doesn't help, then the rheumatologist may consider stronger medications. Um, so there are things called biologics. They're quite complicated medications that generally they're given sort of once a fortnight as an injection. And the aim is that they actually help reduce the um, inflammatory response in the body. So it stops your body producing the inflammation in the first place, rather than like the anti-inflammatory medications. You know, they're controlling the inflammation once it's produced. Um, some, you know, most people will manage mainly with anti-inflammatories and exercise. Some people have the, have the stronger medications if they need to. But in terms of non-medication ways of relieving the symptoms, exercise is really the best thing you can do. Movement and exercise and really just finding something that you enjoy, finding something you can fit into your daily life and doing it regularly. So even if it's small amounts of movement, often it's one of the best things you can do. That's so good to hear. And that's, you know, we'll reiterate that for most most conditions that we've spoken about on here. It doesn't matter what the exercise is. Any exercise is better than zero exercise, isn't it, really? So whatever Absolutely. you love to do, whether that's gardening, walking or deadlifting, you know, get on board and, uh, you know, do it, basically. And then the non-pharmacological side of things, you know, physiotherapy, osteopathy, chiropractic, you know, manual therapy, massage. What about these type of uh, treatments? Absolutely. I mean, it's very different for each person. So some people will find they don't need any kind of added help. We tend, um, tend to have patients seeing a specialist rheumatology physiotherapist just for an annual review to look at exercises, to measure your movement, just to monitor that over the years to make sure that you're not stiffening up or getting any, any particular areas that are affected. Um, but lots of people do find that manual therapies can be really helpful. Quite often, especially when you've been in pain for a long time, you get areas where the muscles tighten up and you get stiffness from, you know, from the muscles and from kind of avoiding the pain and different postures so actually manual therapy can be really helpful just at helping improve these areas so you may not necessarily be treating the axial spar but you're going to be treating everything else around that um, the one thing i'd note is that um, the joint manipulations like the clicking of the joints we um, don't recommend those for people with axial spar um, just because if you've got areas where they're inflamed um, then there's sort of greater risk that you're going to get more of a flare-up after the treatment if you use that so we tend to use more gentle kind of rhythmic movements which people respond really well to but with less uh, response afterwards good good to know um so that's what makes it better in terms of you said exercise manual therapy all those things which help it the medications is there anything which we know that makes it worse that people should avoid doing cut out whatever absolutely one of the biggest things is smoking um if if there's even just one thing you do to help axial spar, stopping smoking is one of the biggest things. So um, it increases your risk of um, getting those longer term joint changes. It increases your risk, obviously, of, of other health conditions as well, but also reduces the effectiveness of the medications if you are taking those as well. So all round, it's really important to to get support with um, reducing or stopping smoking. No, that's 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 a should be a wake up call for most people then who are listening <laughs> and uh, smoking. Stop smoking anyway. We should all stop smoking yeah. at the end of the day for anything. Well, you know, even if you don't have this, we should probably stop smoking. So one of the big reasons we wanted to get you on was only not only are you, you know, osteopath extraordinaire, you also have axial spa as well. So you are in the very unique insight of being someone who treats it, you know, works with it, and then also has it yourself. So you really understand what, you know, patients like this are, are going through. 
So can you tell us a little bit about your story, if that would be okay, in terms of how, how this started for you and then how you were diagnosed? Yeah, of course. Um, like many women with axial spar, I really wasn't a textbook case. Um, we quite often find that, that women tend to get more widespread pain um, and less kind of specific low back pain um, that you know I was describing earlier. So I actually first started getting symptoms when I was 20 and I was in my third year at university training to be an osteopath. And um, the first symptom I got was a really swollen, painful ankle, which is completely kind of left field for axial spar. Um, And gradually the the pain started spreading around my body. So it was into my wrists, my elbows, and then really my ribs and my low back as well. So gradually over the course of a year or two, it it gradually spread. Um, I was lucky that I saw a rheumatologist really quickly, but um, I was misdiagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis to start with because of the the other joints that are involved. Um, Later, when I then moved home after university, it was changed to psoriatic arthritis because I also had psoriasis. Um, And it was only uh, years in total that actually I had more up to date scans and it showed the changes on my spine. And then I was diagnosed with with AS. So even for someone with the kind of medical knowledge, with being in that system as well, it did take a long time to diagnose. And so that, again, another reason why this takes so long to to diagnose, because you said you get this such widespread changes, you know, and it can affect all sorts of things. One thing we didn't mention earlier was what you just said about the kind of the widespread issues you know i said ankles wrists you know knees elbows is it normal or say normal you know is it common for then these to get other joints kind of that get inflamed and sore as well yeah it's relatively common and particularly to get say you know one knee swelling up for a few weeks and then that calms down and then you maybe get an ankle and then a shoulder so it's really common that you can get just these areas of we'd call it a flare-up where you get kind of an increase in symptoms temporarily and And they can affect kind of all joints in the body really and then that's when it has that crossover with things like rheumatoid arthritis and lots of these other kind of inflammatory arthritic conditions. Sorry, my internet just cut out, so I didn't hear that. <laughs> I said, so there's a, um, uh, there's a crossover with lots of these other inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and, and other things. Absolutely, yeah. So how does this affect you now day to day, if you don't mind me asking that? Yeah, no problem. Um, so at the moment, I'm taking the stronger medications, the biologic medications, and they've made a, a huge difference. Um, for me, it means that I'm able to then be more active and do more exercise, which then in turn helps even more. Um, so overall, it's managed fairly well, although I have found that the physical side of clinic and treating, it does take a bit of a toll. So I'm going to take a bit of a break from clinic for a, a short period of time and focus on the teaching that I do um, and the, the charity work that I do as well. Um, but overall, I sort of manage things, like I said earlier, with exercise, moving little and often, particularly the days where I'm at my desk. I make sure that I get out at lunchtime for a walk. I do my stretches regularly. I don't just sit there for hours with my head in my laptop. <laughs> Brilliant. And then just to mention that charity work, that's for NAS. So can we talk a little bit about, about NAS and then your role with them and then you know, what they do with their, with their fantastic work? Absolutely. I'll try not to kind of fangirl over them too much. Um, <laughs> Feel free. So, it's the, the National Axial Spondyloarthritis Society, um, and they're the only charity in the UK for people living with axial spar. And really, they they work across the board. So the biggest thing is they're there for patients. They've got loads of resources on the website, both for helping helping you get the diagnosis if, if you need it, um, and also helping you manage the condition and you know links to local branches where you can meet other people with axial spar and get support that way as well. 
but also they work with clinicians, they work with parliamentarians, um, they're doing loads of work to help kind of raise the profile of axial spa and reduce the delay to diagnosis as well. Um, so at the moment I work as self-management programme officer, uh, so we're putting together sessions through rheumatology departments for patients to help them manage their axial spa um, because you know, particularly over the last year or so, there's been a lot less um, emphasis on providing support for patients, obviously, because of the pressures that rheumatology has been under. Yeah, and, and the entire NHS, I guess, really, you know, with the last year, it's been completely unprecedented. So the delays to diagnoses, delays for scans, delays for blood work have all kind of been ramped up in the last 18 months, really, haven't they? Which is uh, such a shame. If you're listening to this in on delay, this is in the height of the COVID, I say height of the COVID pandemic, we're on the way out, fingers crossed, touch wood. This is a well. We're in June twenty, June twenty one. So we're hopefully on the on the downslide now, which is <laughs> which is nice. So, would you? This might be a challenging question. Would you have any unique insights with your role as an osteopath, with your role as someone with axial spa, and as your role working in the sphere? You know, is there anything which you would want people to hear? You might be going through this. You might have just got a diagnosis, or you might be, you know, a lot further down the down their journey. I think for for anyone who's just recently diagnosed, I think the biggest thing sort of as someone with axial spa um, that I can recommend is just giving yourself time to reach that point of acceptance of the condition, particularly if you've had a long time where you've been in a lot of pain with no answers and then you've suddenly got this this diagnosis, this label. Um, That process of acceptance can take quite a while, but actually once you've reached that point, it really does help you in terms of managing it and living with it much easier. you know, in a much more healthy way as well. Um, it's easy to kind of try and fight against it. But actually, if you if you accept the condition, you know, you're going to look after yourself a lot better and manage it a lot better. So, um, sorry. so I was going to say, how, how do you do that? Um, so an element of it is time. Um, so it can take some people quite, quite a long while, can take years. Um, it's a bit like the grieving process where you may go through kind of denial to begin with and then anger and sadness before reaching that point. Um, there are particular therapies that can be really helpful, like acceptance and commitment therapy and cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, they can really help speed up that process and support you through it as well. Fantastic. And then I think lastly, where can people go then to find more about this? We mentioned NAS, we've mentioned the the act on Axial Spa, you know, any other signposts or resources which you kind of say that people have to go check out? And that can be from clinicians, that can be from family members, that can be for, for people who, who are currently going through this right now. Um, one of the great areas actually is social media. There are more and more people um, with the condition who are kind of advocating across social media um, and lots of people with other types of inflammatory arthritis, um, such as like Joel Nelson, um, who um, blogs as Joel versus Arthritis, um, and the charity versus Arthritis have some great, great resources and Arthritis Action as well. Brilliant. So we'll we'll link and signpost all of those in the in in the show notes. And then lastly, for someone who's listening and thinks that this might be what they have, and they will think they might have some of the symptoms. The first steps, would you recommend, you know, obviously you've mentioned those, the, the questionnaires and things which they can do and the, the resources. Should they go to the GP? Should they go to see a physio? Should they go to straight to a rheumatologist? What is the, the typical first step here? So, yeah, as you said, I do the questionnaire on actonaxialspar.com. And then if it comes out saying that you may have axial spar, it will give you a printout that you can take to your GP. So then you can go to your GP, say, you know, could I possibly have this condition? What can I do about it? And then they'll decide whether to refer you on to rheumatology. Um, so yeah, just just be persistent, be upfront about could it be this? And then hopefully they'll do the right tests and get you the right answers. 
Brilliant. Oh, something like a printout is such a fantastic idea because exactly as you said, people go there and not only is this word really hard to pronounce as well, so you sit there and think, I think it's this, but I don't know what that word is. It doesn't really mean a lot. It's not like, you know, and it can just get easy brushed off. So having a, a handout it will be, is a fantastic idea. So that's a really, I didn't know that. So that's really, really useful for, for patients. And then anything else which you'd like to plug, either from yourself, any courses, anything else you'd like to talk about or anything else that you feel that we've missed and the, that we need to include about, about Axial Spa in our, in our chat? Uh, I don't think we've missed anything, hopefully. Um, I suppose the one thing I would say is that if you've already had a diagnosis of something like hypermobility or fibromyalgia and you find that your, your symptoms and your pain aren't being controlled well, it's always worth looking at Axial Spa, whether it could be that, because there is quite a crossover of the symptoms. So well worth looking at those as, as options as well. Brilliant. Um, yeah, and I'll just I'll plug educate and advocate training if that's okay. Um, it's uh, um, aimed at manual therapists, and we do lots of education about things like axial spa. Generally, things that have a long delayed diagnosis. Try and get the word out and um, get manual therapists picking up on these too. Fantastic. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for taking the time today to obviously educate us about axial spa, and then also for telling your own story as well. I know that's always always can be difficult. So thank you for for taking the time to do that, and thank you for your work to raise awareness of, of you know of axial spa so thank you from, from from both of us really thanks you're welcome and thanks for having me perfect all good thank you ever so much for listening and we will catch you on the next episode over and out